Hi everyone, and welcome to the Hockey Journey Podcast, episode number eight, the Bob Fallon Hockey Journey, presented to you by OnlineHockeyTraining.com. I'm your host, Coach Lance Pedlick. If you're new here, please make sure you subscribe so you won't miss out on any future episodes. Before we get after it, if you want to learn more about me, my hockey experiences, what I know, and most importantly, how I've been helping hockey players get really good with a stick and puck, just head on over to OnlineHockeyTraining.com and gain instant access to my 10-part video series where I'll show you everything. Consider it my gift to you. When I think of a hockey journey, you may have a different perspective, but for me, it's talking about the journey as a hockey player. I'm sure there are a lot of you out there listening feel the same way, but there are so many hockey journeys that are behind the scenes that don't involve participating in games themselves, but where most of the energy is spent trying to make a difference. And a lot of these efforts go undetected or recognized, but quietly, the hockey experience for others improves on a massive scale. My next guest's contributions to the game of hockey has nothing to do with games played, levels reached, or how many points he got in a season. It's a hockey journey that very few have ever had access to, and I'm excited to bring the discussion to you. This individual, straight out of college, got a unique opportunity, and that was to work for tennis legend Billie Jean King. He also spent some time with TPG Sports Inc., which publishes the world's largest hockey magazine, USA Hockey Magazine. He was also employed by CCM for a number of years, and from there became the commissioner of the United States Hockey League, the USHL. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Mr. Bob Fallon to the show. Bobby, welcome to the Hockey Journey Podcast. Hello, Lance. Mr. Bob Fallon, that's pretty formal, brother. Well, you know, we're trying to run a first-class operation here, <laughs> and, uh, you know, got to be respectful. I understand. So let, I understand. Let's get to it. Uh, as I was preparing for this episode, uh, looking at your body of work, uh, what you've been able to be a part of is, is quite amazing. Uh, let's go back to the beginning, Bob, uh, before you jumped into corporate America. Where did you go to college and what did you specialize in? So this is way back in ancient history, late 70s, actually. I went to Northern Illinois University in um, DeKalb, Illinois, and my focus was on a degree in journalism, but I did a minor in business administration. The journalism thing, I never really wanted to be an on-air personality as much as I really wanted to learn how to write and communicate because I just was, you know, exposed to a lot of things on the business side where there's quite a few people that were really smart, but they didn't know how to communicate or write. So I just figured that might bode well for me in the future. Well, that's fantastic. Um, what, uh, you know, when you're going through that, that college experience, uh, you know, when on the outside of it, were you, were you working in college or were you just going to yeah, school? Absolutely. So I actually worked, uh, pretty much full time, um, in college when I was, uh, uh, primarily a sophomore, uh, junior and senior, I didn't work full time in uh, freshman year. Oddly enough, my grades were worse freshman year when I wasn't working, but, no uh, you know, worked, uh, at a bar, uh, as both a bartender and spinning records and also had a, uh, a weekly radio show uh, that was uh, sports radio. So we covered Chicago and, you know, sports for colleges uh, in the northern Illinois area. So it was kind of fun. My friend who I did the show with is now currently the voice of the Philadelphia 76ers. He kind of stuck on the broadcast end of things where I did not. He was way, way better than me anyway. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, that, that's a, 
hats off to you. I mean, uh, to have to work full time and still carry a full class load. Uh, I'm sure that the, there was some tough times around finals. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I just, I mean, I mean, back then college was only like, I mean, this is, I was looking at some old bills not too long ago. And I think on a semester basis, it was like 1800 bucks plus, you know, books and room and board. So it was never more than like five, six grand a year. Now it's 10 times that. Yeah. It's insane. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's a lot different now. You couldn't work full time and try to pay for this stuff these days. Yeah. So when you started working, is that when you, you got kind of really disciplined and learned a different process? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it was very uh, common for people to do on air or not on air uh, on campus interviews as a senior. So they'd set up these career days and companies would come up and set up, you know, whether it was like, you know, companies selling cars or batteries or beer, you know, insurance companies, financial institutions. And I was looking at these things and I literally had zero interest in anything that was coming on campus. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do? Um, I knew I had an interest in the sports end of things. So I actually reached out to some folks and said, listen, I tried to do it in a, in a thing that didn't put them on the defensive right away. I said, listen, I'm not necessarily looking for a job. I'm looking for information about what it is you do. So the first guy I called was a guy by the name of Jim DiMaria, who's the director of communications and public relations for the Chicago Blackhawks. Okay. Uh, bought him lunch and just talked. And, you know, talked for 90 minutes and we stayed in touch after that. And he hooked me up with a guy that ran uh, PR for the uh, Chicago Bears, Kenny Valdeseri, who went on to become the athletic director at Notre Dame. Um, and just, you know, literally was just calling people to say, I just want to learn more about your business. And I made a phone call to an organization that was promoting women's tennis, professional women's tennis events all over the country. Back then, Lance, the title sponsor of the women's tennis tour was Virginia Slims Cigarettes. <laughs> Just the craziest thing. So anyway, I called the Virginia Slims office in Chicago, and I you know, gave my spiel. Hey, listen, I'm not sort of looking for work. I just like to talk to you know the people that run the business to understand what you do, how you do it. And uh, so I'm talking to this woman over the phone, and she goes, "Hey, you know, I kind of like your your approach on this. Why don't you come in and talk to me?" And um, you know, we're at 55 West Erie in Chicago, and come to the door and ask for Billy. So I'm like, all right, fine. So went to the place and this woman comes out to the reception area and she goes, I'm Billy. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Billy Jean King. <laughs> so I had no idea and wind up uh, meeting a absolute sports legend who hired me on the spot. And I started in group sales and worked my up through marketing and handling some of the broadcast stuff. And it was just super cool to work around somebody like that who Talking about a multitasker, she, her, her competitive um, stuff had pretty much come to a close. She was playing in some exhibitions and a little bit of doubles and stuff, but she just had things going constantly. She was not only owning and operating these tournaments in Chicago, L.A., and Florida, which I helped with, but she was also launching Team Tennis at the time. She was the president of the Women's Sports Foundation, and she did tennis, Wimbledon, and uh, U.S. Open for NBC Sports. So she was all over the place. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where she just kept giving me more to do. And I just kept taking it on. And I was fortunate enough to meet some of her people in her circle, including her agent, 
at International Management Group, and one thing led to another, and that's how I got to IMG. Is I left Billy's organization to go work for IMG that had a, you know was opening up an office in Chicago, and it was just a great transition. Yeah, so you know I, I listened to to what you you know you took a different approach to and and really an initiative that a lot maybe wouldn't have thought of or were brave enough to do. But uh, the, the mentorship along the way by, by people that intersect into our lives is, is just so critical. And it sounds like you, you had some that uh, touched pretty early in your career. Yep, 100%. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in uh, mentorship and staying in contact with people of influence, right? And if you make it and you, you keep those connections in a way where you're not really asking for things, right? You're just... Yeah you know, communicating that they're not as defensive because they're not trying to have to deflect a request to get hired. Right. And, right. You know, things, I'm a big believer in connectivity. And if you look, you know, I look back at my resume and it's like, everybody's like, Oh, how'd you get there? How'd you get there? And it's like, it's connectivity. The people you meet in your day-to-day job now are likely going to play a role in what you do next. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, starting out with Billy, I got exposed to people with, sports television with both uh, NBC and a uh, uh, broadcast network out of Chicago called WGN and, you know, sitting there and exposed to production rooms and stuff like that at the age of like 23 and 24. And you're just like, wow, this is super cool. And uh, getting exposed to, you know, our, her partner with the LA event that we did in tennis was uh, Jerry Buss and Jeannie Buss that owned the, the Lakers. So I got to hang with, you know, Jeannie Buss, you know, and really brilliant lady out in LA there during our tournament. And, you know, she introduces me to people. Again, it's all about, you know, staying, you know, attentive and finding out who the people are. They're going to help uh, further your career. It's not that different from being an athlete. You, you hang around the people that are going to tell you and show you uh, the habits that make you a better athlete, uh, both on and off, you know, the playing field. So to me, it's, there's a lot of parallels between a career in business and a career in athletics. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because uh, I know you know our Presley Norby. I yep. interviewed her uh, a few weeks ago, and she said that that everything that she used to get really good at hockey is exactly what she uses in her business world today. So uh, that was kind of neat to hear. Uh, well, that's you know I'm a big believer for that reason in athletics for young kids because it teaches you discipline, it teaches you teamwork. It teaches you how to take direction. You know, coaches are much like bosses or teachers, right? And it's it's all about learning how to react and learn. And those apply to business. So it's a yeah. great lesson for a lot of people. Yeah. So your next stop, I believe, with, was with uh, Sport FIX, Sports Well, actually, well, I, I went from uh, Billie Jean to uh, IMG. Actually, I, I think I screwed you up there when I sent you that note. But this, uh, I was with International Management management group and we worked on a whole bunch of crazy stuff i did uh uh international festival of, of thoroughbred racing the budweiser million uh, uh bud light legends of hockey which was super cool because they allowed me to create my own event and i said hey as long as we can make money on it have at it so i had some some connections with anheuser-busch that again that i had made through my relationship with billy and do some of their sports marketing people in St. Louis. And we came up with a concept of, you know, entertaining 
some of their key accounts in key markets with the legends of hockey. So I got a chance to work with a lot of former, you know, NHL legends and Hall of Famers like, you know, Bobby Hull and Stan Mikita. And we put together these events called the Legends of Hockey in various markets and just had an absolute ball. Um, you know, the first one was a little difficult because we were in our planning stages and it turns out our event is on the same weekend as the Bears' first Super Bowl. So that uh, <laughs> was a little bit of an uphill climb, but we had an absolute riot. And a lot of the relationships um, that I, you know, created back then, that was my first introduction to Bobby Hull and wound up uh, sitting down and having breakfast with him in L.A. at the uh, 100th anniversary uh, party for the NHL in 2017. He still remembered. It was just like, it's just crazy. Uh, you, and then, uh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, I just want to let everyone know that uh, Bob and I have known each other for quite some time now, and I don't know anyone in this world that knows more people in not only hockey, but anywhere, but has a backstory <laughs> with each one of these people. I mean, I could sit here and listen to you for hours. Uh, That's it's awesome. It's just crazy stuff. So, you know, again, with IMG, you know, these people represented the top athletes in the world so like when i was working on the festival of racing the guy who owned arlington park was a guy by the name of dick duchessois who was extremely you know multi multi-millionaire if not billionaire at the time back in you know the 80s and uh he you know we were doing some entertainment things and he wanted to do a golf event as part of uh the festival of racing with these top thoroughbred owners from all over the world and he insisted on you know using one of our clients arnold palmer and so we fly in Arnold and, you know, I get to know his agents and stuff like that. It was just, again, it's just crazy stuff. And then I actually, they were like, okay, we want to, you know, move you to Cleveland. And, uh, you know, I was just uh, in the process of becoming a, a father for the first time. And I was like, mm, I'm not so sure I want to move to Cleveland. And I was recruited by uh, an agency called Kemper Sports Management, which is in um, um the Chicago area, Northbrook, and, you know, primarily with golf. And I actually got exposed to help manage uh, figure skating, which was a really interesting experience after being a hockey guy for so long. But uh, we did the uh, Canadian figure skating championships and the U.S. figure skating championships. I remember uh, one event in Quebec, I was so burned out with figure skating and, you know, watching guys in sequined outfits that I was just begging somebody to take me to a a game in the Quebec Major Junior League. <laughs> so <laughs> I wound up diverting for a day to go watch some junior hockey just to uh, get back on my feet. But um, And then from there, I, I you know, I, I wound up uh, actually having kind of a seminal moment in my life where I was, you know, um, contracted a pretty serious health condition. And um, one of my dreams was to have my own business. So even though I was doing really well and, you know, loved my employers and they were good friends of mine at Kemper Sports. I said, I'm going to go out on my own just because I don't know if I'm going to have a chance to do it. So um, did that in, uh, in the late 80s into the 90s and, um, you know, had a great time with that. And again, it's all that connectivity. So I get a call one day, I think it was 1990. I get a call from one of my former IMG supervisors saying, hey, um, we got some you know, this crazy uh, thing coming in from Europe. It's a company out of Barcelona and they're, they're making a presentation at Chicago stadium for the bulls and the Blackhawks and their owners. Um, you know, we want to invite you cause we don't have time to work on this, but it might be something that would fit for your little agency. And so lo and behold, my 
little agency got hired to introduce the rotational signage that you see now in the NBA and Major League Baseball and soccer and everything from a company called Dornasport out of Barcelona. So I'll never forget it because, uh, you know, Bill Wirtz at the time, who was thought to be this cantankerous, you know, anti-marketing guy, comes down in his, you know, three-piece Brooks Brothers suit with, you know, his, you know, aides and assistants next to him all, you know, with their clipboards and everything. And Bill Wirtz comes in, he's got a cigarette in his mouth, and he's looking at these uh, rotational signs work in the basement of Chicago Stadium. And he takes a cigarette out of his mouth and he goes, uh, by the way, can I swear on this podcast or no? Because yes. I want to quote him accurately. <laughs> he, he goes, he looked at it and he looked around and he goes, I don't know about you guys, but this is like the best fucking thing since sliced bread for sports. <laughs> I was like, it was an amazing story because I thought to myself, Bill Wirtz is a really smart guy and, and rotational signage became a huge business. We wound up getting the Chicago Bulls as our first team and I'll never forget going into these you know, major ad agencies all over the country and trying to sell courtside signage. In the years previous, the static signage was like 50 grand a year. And we were selling it for $250,000 a year. And I got thrown out of more boardrooms. <laughs> People thought I was absolutely insane. I'm like, guys, the, the visibility of your brand in the stadium is meaningless. 19,000 people at Chicago Stadium doesn't mean a thing. We're selling this as guaranteed broadcast time because instead of one 10-foot sign out of 20, you control all 250 feet of the court for a specific time of year. So it, it took off, and it just, I mean, it dominates the NBAA today. It's in Major League Baseball, and we did very, very, very well. And then, uh, you know, it just it was a crazy, crazy time. We were flying all over the country and doing some crazy events and, making good money and having a lot of fun. Yeah, it, uh, it sounds like it. <laughs> uh, you know, so when, when you, uh, let's transition to your time at TPG Sport, Sports yep. Inc. Uh, was that, how did, how did they lure you out of, uh, you know, your own deal? Was that well, the well, you know, getting back to this whole connectivity issue, when I was at IMG, um, my supervisor there, uh, still a very dear friend of mine by the name of Dave McGugan, he was running the Chicago office. And Dave, at the time, was the co-chair of the USA Hockey Marketing Council, which helped market not only the Olympic team, but market um, amateur hockey in America. So we were, you know, he invited me as a, you know, his subordinate at IMG. So listen, with your background and, you know, your love of the game, would you mind coming on board the USA Hockey Martin Council? So I was like, great. So I, I joined that in the um, you know early early 90s, I want to say like 94 or something like that. And uh, I'll never forget my first meeting was uh, in Chicago at the Marriott next to the airport. And I'm sitting on this council and I'm probably younger than anybody by 20 years. So it was a little intimidating. I'm just kind of sitting around this table and there's a lot of familiar faces from hockey you know, Walter Bush, who was the president, who was, you know, overseeing the meeting. And I just sat there and just tried to keep my mouth shut. And uh, one of the orders of business at the meeting was the cancellation of, at the time, the world's largest hockey magazine called American Hockey Magazine. And, uh, you know, obviously I had a background in journalism and stuff like that. So they're going around and basically about to vote uh, the cancellation of the magazine. And this is before the Internet, right? So... 
by and large, this was the only means they had to communicate with their membership of, you know, nearly a half a million people in the United right. States. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to raise my hand and ask a question. And I'll never forget the look on the guy's face. There was a guy presenting from USA Hockey. His name was Daryl Seibel. He was the director of communications. And then he goes, uh, yeah, I don't know you, but, but you had a question. I said, yeah, help me understand this, Daryl. I said, uh, you're about to cancel what I believe to be your only means of communicating with the parents and the players in the United States. He goes, well, Bob, you got to understand, we're losing money on this publication. I said, all right, take me through the uh, take me through the financials if you could from a you know thirty thousand foot view. And he goes, well, and he just it was like dealing with me like I was an insolent child. And he says, uh, well, you know, it costs us nearly a half a million dollars, and we only take in three hundred thousand dollars in advertising, so we're losing uh, two hundred thousand dollars a year. And everybody's like, yeah, 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 he's right. And they're about to literally bang the gavel to to, to canceled the magazine. And I said, okay. And I stood up a little bit and pulled out my wallet. And I took out my USA Hockey membership card. And I read the back of the membership card that said, of the $15 I pay to USA Hockey on an annual basis, $1.50 will go to my subscription of American Hockey Magazine. I said, $1.50 times almost a, you know half a million people is $750,000. Where does that show up on your revenue line? And there was just silence in the room. So <laughs> the chairman of the marketing council turns to me and goes, what's your name again? <laughs> I said, Bob Bowen. He goes, congratulations. You just won a opportunity to put together a business plan for the magazine and we'll reconvene in six months to have a, another vote. And so at the end of the meeting, I'm kind of standing there and, you know, guys are coming up and introducing themselves. And this young man comes up and goes, hi, um, I'm the publisher of the magazine. And I was here to fight for my life, and you did it for me. My name's Dave Jensen. <laughs> you and I both know Jens. Yeah, I'm still fast friends with him. You know, here we are, nearly 30 years later. But uh, crazy stuff. We basically decided to become business partners. I moved from Chicago to you know Minneapolis with my little agency and took on his publishing company as a client, along with a few others in Minnesota. And wound up putting together a buying group of David, myself, and a couple of guys connected to hockey here in Minnesota. And we actually bought the publishing company and turned it into TPG Sports. So it was a great opportunity to not only combine my love for sports and hockey and sports marketing, but also journalism, because now we were the publishers of the world's largest hockey magazine. And there's probably some of your listeners who remember the old American hockey it was pretty much black and white newsprint and pretty much articles about risk management for arenas and just really, really boring stuff. And, you know, we went to USA Hockey. I said, you know, you're aware of the fact that 88% of your readership is under 18. And they're like, yeah, what's your point? I said, we might want to maybe skew the editorial towards them and their parents and so we, we literally overhauled the publication, rebranded it as USA Hockey Magazine, uh, made it glossy, four color, and uh, within two years, we went from a million, you know, a million dollars a year in advertising to over five million dollars a year in advertising. And the thing just absolutely took off. So the, the magazine that the kids get sent to their home to this very day is what we created at TPG Sports. Wow. That's a great story, Bob. <laughs> really good story. And, and Jens is still one of my best friends. Yeah. 
Former oh, Olympian from Armstrong, was a captain at the uh, University of Minnesota, and went on to the 84 Olympic team with guys like LaFontaine and uh, Brett Hull and Joel Otto and a whole bunch of other guys, Chelios and all those guys. They had a tough uh, act to follow from the 80 team, but uh, yeah. Yeah. a good man and a great hockey guy. Yeah, this is great stuff. So uh, the next road you traveled, I believe, was uh, to the historic company CCM. How did you end up there, and uh, what were your marketing responsibilities for that group? Well, you know, one, it, it, again, it's all this connectivity. And, you know, the reason I got to TPG is because I was IMG working on, you know, USA Hockey stuff, and also I'm at TPG, and it's all this connectivity. So among the things that I was working on at TPG Sports, uh, we decided that we wanted to branch out beyond just publishing into a marketing services agency as well because a lot of our publishing clients really didn't have any marketing uh, acumen. So, for example, we took on um, uh, the Minnesota Amateur Hockey Association, at the time Maha, as a client, and actually helped rebrand them to Minnesota Hockey, which is what they're called today, and brought in their first ever full-time employee, an executive director by the name of Mark Jorgensen. That position now is held by Glenn Andreessen, really good guy. But it was all about managing, you know, the sport as opposed to just depending on all, you know, volunteers. We actually brought in this full-time guy that worked on it. And we also worked on um, launching a uh, publication for them called Minnesota Hockey Journal, which is still distributed today, four, four issues a year, I believe. And we also did the marketing for the Hobie Baker Memorial Award, which was really, really fun because I was a huge fan and still am of college hockey. And, um, you know, getting involved with that award before we got involved the award was pretty much invisible until you had the dinner at uh, the decathlon athletic club in bloomington which is long since uh, been bulldozed but uh, we we took over i want to say i'm trying to think i think our first winner was brian holzinger from bowling green but i approached uh, a guy by the name of phil butterfuoco who is the director of the uh, NCAA hockey championships. And I said, why don't we maybe work together on using that Friday of the championship weekend, frozen forwards, you know, as Thursday semifinals and Saturday finals. And they really had nothing for fans on Friday. And I said, why don't we work together to make the Hobie a much more special thing? And we worked with ESPN to do a Hobie Baker top 10 video and all that stuff. And you know, it's grown into something right now where there are thousands of people who attend the Hobie Baker Award on Friday that was created by little old TPG Sports and Bob and Dave and Phil from the NCAA 100 years ago. So it's kind of fun to see it today and, you know, get to know some of the guys like Brian Bonin, who won it in 96, or Brendan Morrison from, Minnesota, or from Michigan. And I run into these guys at different events in the future, and they still remember us. And it was just it's a special thing to me because the Hobie represents not only outstanding hockey players, but outstanding young men in the classroom and in their community. And I'm a big believer in student athleticism and a big believer that athletes need to do more than just compete on the ice and need to try to help, you know, with youth hockey and just different things in their community. And that's what the Hobie's all about. So uh, we did that. And, you know, from there, you know, we're working at TPG sports and, you know, getting to know a lot of people in different leagues because we published all kinds of things on college and junior and pro and um, was approached by a guy that I'd sold advertising to from CCM. 
he's like, listen, um, we're looking for, uh, you know, somebody to come in and run our, our Western sales division, which would be basically, you know, the Mississippi out to California and working with our top retailers. And this is back when things were morphing, Lance, as you, you know, you were part of the sport at the time where, you know, you had these mom and pop shops and all of a sudden, you know, you got Hockey Giant and Hockey Monkey and Total Hockey and Pure Hockey, these mega, mega stores came on board and, you know, just CCM just needed a little bit more of a sophisticated approach in terms of how to bundle these packages for retail. And and then that job morphed into uh, Beyond Sales. Um, I transitioned into a role as their uh, director of U.S. trade marketing. So I was in charge of our branded relationships at retail. So working with these retailers to do displays and, and promote the sport in their given markets. And we also... Uh, uh, my position also managed our branded relationship with all the leagues, with the exception of the National Hockey League, which they handled out of Montreal. So I had oversight of our branding with uh, college hockey and junior hockey and youth hockey and things like that. So, again, it gives you exposure to a, a number of different people. And, um, you know, why uh, you know, staying with CCM for a number of years. Uh, and a lot of the guys I worked with back then are, still friends to this day because we really helped build the brand. Um, as you remember, it was Reebok CCM. And when we were there, we actually took the Reebok brand out of it simply because it wasn't as authentic as it needed to be with the hockey community. And we threw all of our uh, emphasis behind the CCM brand. The technology, you know, they were owned by Adidas. And we brought in TaylorMade Golf to help work on the technology for the sticks and um partnered with Lefebvre out of Montreal on the development of the goalie equipment. We uh, currently number one in both goalie and sticks in the NHL. And it's a direct result of those partnerships we forged back then. Wow. You have just uh, put a collection of just home runs, it seems like, but I, I know that none of these happen without an extremely uh, disciplined crew they, and a lot of hours go into and oh, thought yeah. goes into pulling something like that off. Oh, we had just a great team and uh, worked very closely with the brand directors up there. One of my favorites of all time. I actually just touched base with her uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Sonia DiBiase, the oh, yeah. best hockey brand manager I've ever met in terms of her dedication to quality and research. And, you know, here's a woman that never played hockey that uh you know just became an absolute rock star uh it became really good friends you know in developing equipment for carrie price and a number of other folks and she's an absolute legend in the game but you're right it was all about putting together a team that really knew what they were doing yeah so i want you to touch on <laughs> the next story is how did you end up becoming the commissioner <laughs> of the united states hockey league the ushl so we were involved in negotiating or renegotiating an extension of our sponsorship. CCM had been a longtime partnership with the USHL. It was uh, That partnership was started through my supervisor at the time, a guy by the name of John Bissert, really bright guy uh, with a lot of background in, in, in sports retail and in sports alignments. And we had talked internally saying, listen, we, you know, we can't overspend with the USHL because it's not moving the needle as much as we needed to in terms of selling product because there's not a lot of hockey players in Dubuque or Sioux Falls or Des Moines or wherever, you know, the USHL was. And we were really doing it to get 
the future stars of college hockey and pro hockey into the brand so that they would hopefully adopt it and use it during their uh, collegiate and pro careers. So we were having this uh, meeting in our offices, uh, the CCM office here in Minnesota in Maple Grove. And, uh, you know, the the meeting, honestly, Lance wasn't going very well because they were really pressing for a lot more money. And I was just like trying to hold firm saying, listen, guys, I, I have a finite budget. And if it gets to the point where it's too expensive to do the USHL, I'll spend it elsewhere. I'll go sponsor the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. It's like, I just have to use my money in a manner that helps me sell the equipment. That's my job. Yeah. And um, anyway, we took a break from the meeting and um, I was standing out in the hallway and the, the chairman of the league, a guy I'm sure you've heard of, Butch Johnson, who at the time I think owned three teams in the USHL, a legend. He's a lumber baron in uh, Wisconsin, just an absolute legend in USA hockey. And um, he came out and said, hey, uh, you know, Bobby, you know, let's you and I have, uh, let's, you know, let's break up the meeting today. Let's, let's go watch a hockey. Let's go to the wild game tonight and have dinner. I go, great. Fine. Let me call my wife and, you know, change the plan. Because, you know, obviously I had two young kids and just basically just saying I'm going to a hockey game, you know, with no notice wouldn't go over very well. But, you know. <laughs> My wife, who knows I get involved in a lot of crazy stuff, is like, whatever, have fun. So I wind up going down to meet uh, Butch for dinner at the St. Paul Grill. And we start talking. He says, uh, so are you aware of the fact that we're in the middle of a search for a new commissioner? I said, no. I said, uh, actually, Butch, I, you know, there's some guys I could probably put you in touch with that might be great candidates for that. Because I was not looking for work. I you know, I really enjoyed my position at the CCM. And he, kind of, he goes, hey, what about you? I said, what about me? And he goes, uh, I think you'd be perfect. Your kid played in the league. You know the league. You, you, know, you, you embrace and understand the junior hockey to college model as good as anybody I know. You know the guys in our league because you call on them for CCM. So I knew the, the guys running Waterloo and Cedar Rapids and so he goes, you know, you could jump into this job and start tomorrow. What do you think? And I go, I don't know. Let me make a phone call. I called my wife. I go, craziest thing came up over dinner, and one thing led to another. And before you know it, I was named the commissioner in 2014. So it was just a crazy deal. Again, out of nowhere, but it was that connectivity. If I'm not at CCM dealing with the USHL, I never even considered for that position. Right. Wow. So. Again, you never know what happens. And that's why it's like pay attention to the people around you no matter where you're at because you have no idea how they're going to influence your, your future. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how uh, you know, people intersect back and forth into our lives and mm-hmm. uh, you know, how you get that connection. So I, I got to tell one story about the USHL. So my oldest boy was playing for the Waterloo Blackhawks. And they had played. They had a game Friday night there, and I went to a lot of games that season. And I, what was the new? Was it Sioux Falls that had the yeah. new rink built? Yeah. So I slept in Waterloo on that Friday, and then drove all day. It was like four or five hours. Got there early. It's a brand new stadium. It's like twelve thousand people, I think. And so I, I was tired. I took a nap in the car, not thinking that I had to go get a ticket because <laughs> it's a big building. So I finally go get the ticket to go watch warm-ups, and it's sold out. And I'm like, holy crap, you can't believe this. 
So I go outside and I'm literally yelling, tickets, anyone have tickets? And then I, and no one had a ticket. And then all of a sudden I see a group of like five or six guys in suits walking up. And who was one of the guys but you? <laughs> And I'm like, uh, hey, who's this homeless guy standing in front of this wall? <laughs> it's Lance Pitlick. Oh, oh my God, that was hilarious. Right. You were with, uh, so I told you what was going on. You said, well, just happened that I'm with two of the owners here or whatever. So you got me a <laughs> ticket. And then the worst part was, is I, you know, finally got to my seat, uh, had a little arena food to settle in. And I get a text from Rem saying that he's a healthy scratch. <laughs> so, well, that just shows you how, you know, incredible that league is you have guys like rem and guys who are mr hockey finalists in minnesota and they get you know healthy scratch that league is so freaking deep it's insane it is but, I, I think it was you that told me that it's it's harder to get a, a roster spot in that league than it is to to get a college scholarship well 100 percent. and i actually i i use that as my information but i actually got that from um uh, Gino uh, Gasparini, who used to, we were sitting down in a, 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 you know, the bowels of a, a stadium. I don't even remember where. And it was Gino, Butch, and um, I believe a uh, Jack Parker from Boston University was the head coach at the time. We were kind of talking about it. And, and people are like, parents don't realize it's harder to get on a USHL franchise with 16 teams than it is D1 with 60. And, it, you know, it's a mathematical equation, right? It's right, the only right. Tier 1 league in the United States. And you have players from all over the world trying to get on those rosters. So it's extremely difficult to make a USHL team. And I think at the time, there was a, I think people have been a little bit more educated over the years. But, you know, back then you had kids that were playing high school hockey here in Minnesota going, yeah, you know. I was all conference, so I think I'm just going to go walk on to a USHL team. It's like, good luck to you. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, again, I mean, great players. And uh, Rem obviously became our USHL player of the year and uh, had a fine career in our league before going on to the Gophs. Like 95% of the other players in the USHL go in D1. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is a, it is a super league. So um want to just touch base here. You're currently running – the Fallon Consulting Group, and this has got to be exciting for you because one of your clients is competing in the Beijing Olympics on Team USA's women hockey team, and her name yeah. is Danny Cameronese. This is her yeah. second Olympics, and I, I've worked with her and know that this is the last leg of the tour for her, uh, as far as I know, as she's retiring from hockey after the Games. Have you already started working on opportunities for her when she returns? Yeah, and actually, we were working on some stuff, uh, you know, over the last year or so here at the Twin Cities. We got her a, um, you know, a promotional relationship with uh, the National um, Humane Society because she's such a dog lover. Look at yeah, her yeah. Instagram. If, if you want to know what she loves, look at her Instagram account. I haven't been yeah. about her dog. And uh, when she was at the U, uh, she said that to relieve stress you know, around hockey and finals, she would go to volunteer at the Humane Society in Golden Valley, which I thought was a super cool story. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, I, I was approached by an NHL you know, agent that represented a number of different NHL players. He's like, Bobby, I got this friend of mine that, you know, she really needs some work or needs some help. And I'm like, I, I have no interest in being an agent. 
Zero. Yeah. Zero interest. I have no legal background, blah, blah, blah. He goes, would you just have a cup of coffee with her? I'm like, fine. And you know Danny. It's like the last – I mean – I meet her and I'm like, how can I not help her? She's such a sweet kid. <laughs> and just, I mean, she just, she just effuses energy and happiness, right? And I'm like, I will do anything I can to help her. So fun stuff. And it's great looking at her representing the red, white, and blue. And one of her teammates is uh, one of my neighbors when I lived in Plymouth. Kelly Panic used to shoot pucks in our basement. Um, so it's really fun to see you know, young women and young men that you know about and know of from back in the day, you know, representing the red, white, and blue. Actually, my son's two teammates from Yale, Brian O'Neill and Kenny Agostino, are having a whale of a tournament over there so far. But great young guys, and they uh, really find it to be super special to represent their country, much like Danny. Yeah, what a what an awesome experience for those guys and gals. Yep. It's really cool. Well, it's funny, I, you know, I, I kind of got into this thing with my own agency thinking, you know what, I've worked in and around the hockey business for 30 or 35 years, and maybe it's time to do something different because I don't want my gravestone to just say hockey guy, you know? Right. And <laughs> oddly enough, you know, here I am working on a number of different things, but I still have my tentacles in hockey. It's just hard to get out of once you know all the people. So, you know, yeah. beyond uh, Danny, I did some consulting with Athletica Sports Systems, which is the largest arena equipment they do all the dashboards and glass for you know 31 of the 32 nhl teams probably 90 percent of the college teams and junior teams they're a phenomenal company that was started by bob nagley former owner of the wild yeah and then um you know got uh into some things here recently with a guy i had come across in uh, russia when i was representing the united states hockey league and bringing the um, uh, sioux city musketeers and chicago steel over there on successive years for the World Junior um, Cup, uh, which was an amazing event run by the Russian Federation. I got to know the commissioner of the Russian Junior League, Dmitry Efimov, just a tremendous guy. And uh, he and I have reconnected, and we're working on some things on developing ice facilities in Eastern Europe, which is an underserved market for the development of young hockey players. So it's just kind of fun, you know, trying different things, and the ability to do it on a global basis is a lot of fun. Oh, I bet. I bet. Well, speaking of Russia, you uh, talk a little bit about Gabe Polsky's, is that the same as yeah. the name, uh, movie yeah. uh, Red Army, because that I, I saw it, amazing movie. That had to have been pretty awesome to be a part of. Yeah, and again, it's those things where you never know when you're going to call upon people you've met in any walk of life. And this is so funny. I was down in Chicago, my first week or maybe first two weeks of being the commissioner, I haven't even found a place to live yet. I was, you know, most people don't know this, including many of the owners of the USHL teams at the time, but I was basically living in the USHL office and sleeping on a inflatable mattress no way. in a sleeping bag for the first two weeks because I couldn't find a place. And, you know, the hotels were just outrageously expensive and they had a little, you know, bathroom and shower in there. So it was no problem. So anyway, it was a Saturday morning and, uh, you know, kind of combing through the Chicago Tribune at like 6.30 in the morning. And they had the Chicago Film Festival. And I see this Red Army. And I had heard about the film. It won a award for uh, uh, documentaries at the Cannes Film Festival. And I was like, you know what? I got to get down there. It's like an early movie because the film festival runs from like 8 a.m. until, you know, midnight. And it just so happens that this... Uh, 
this uh, this film is at uh, you know 10 a.m. and I'm sitting there. It's now you know 7:15. I've got sweats on and you know, I haven't even showered. So I throw on some jeans, throw on the closest baseball cap I could find, and literally take a cab down to the Chicago Film Festival. And I get down there, and there's this line around the block. And uh, Red Army sold out. I'm like, no way. You've got to be kidding me. And I'm like, okay, think, Bobby. Who do you know? Who do you know? Who do you know? And uh, there was a, a guy that I'd come across through some USA hockey stuff who had done some consulting about the Russian Federation, a guy by the name of Scott Peterson, just an absolute beauty. And I call him up. I go, Scotty, do you know anybody that has any connections to this Red Army thing? I, I'm dying to get in this movie. He goes, oh. My friend Slava, call him. I'm like, Slava who? He goes, Slava Fatisov. I go, the Slava Fatisov? He goes, yeah, here's his number. Call him. I'm like, I'm not calling a first ballot Hall of Famer to weasel into a movie. He goes, Bobby, <laughs> you called me. Call Slava or don't call Slava. If you want to get in the movie, call Slava. So like, I'm like, all right, what the hell? I got nothing to lose. So I'm literally with my cell phone looking around because you know, Slava Fatisov should not be hard to find in the lobby of this building. So I'm dialing and looking for this guy to pick up a phone. And also I hear this click, click. And I'm like, uh-oh, I knew what was happening. It was connecting me overseas. <laughs> this woman answers the phone. It's like well after midnight in Russia. Hello, who is this? And <laughs> you go, um, I'm a friend of Scott Peterson. And she goes, of course you are. Like waking me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> what can I do for her? I go, uh, I was trying to reach Slava Fatisov. She goes, he's laying right here. And he grabs the phone. He goes, so you're a friend of Scotty's? I go, yeah. He goes, what can I do for you? I said, uh, I'm sorry for waking you and your wife, but I'm desperate to get into this film you're featured in. And he goes, hold on a minute. What's your name? So he takes my name. He goes, Go to the ticket window in 20 minutes. I go to the ticket window. There's a ticket waiting for me. So it's just no crazy, way. right? Woke up a first ballot Hall of Famer, who at the time was, I believe, the president of the Russian Federation. So I get to wake him up. Uh, but anyway, I, I get into the film, and I'm now I'm feeling like, oh my god, I, this is this is just my day, right? I got in from one of my favorite players because I always followed the Red Army as, as a guy growing up and everything, and so. You know, they were ushering out the public and only the media could stay. Stay. And you had to have a VIP pass to stay or a media pass. And I looked down at my ticket and uh, Slava had got me a VIP pass. So I'm sitting there in sweatpants, <laughs> in a hoodie shirt, and a freaking Yale hockey baseball cap over an unwashed head. And I, I look like a complete homeless knucklehead, right? <laughs> and uh, Gabe Polsky is up on the stage talking to people. I'm laying way back in the middle of the empty seats now because it's only media in the first two rows or three rows talking to him. And he's talking to these people, and he spots me, and he points at me. And he goes, hey. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm busted. Like, they know I'm not who I, you know, they think I am. I'm not a media guy. He goes, did you go to Yale? I'm like, excuse me? And I had forgotten that I was wearing a Yale hockey hat. <laughs> well, he's like, um, no, my son goes there. And he goes, what's his name? I go, Tommy Fallon. And he, Gabe climbs down off the stage, goes right through the media, and comes over and introduces himself. I, unbeknownst to me, Gabe Polsky, the creator of the movie, played hockey at Yale. <laughs> like, no how does this kind of stuff happen? And he goes, you're Tommy's dad. I'm like, yeah. And we had just won the national championship in 13. So a lot of the Yale players were like rock stars amongst their alumni. 
So he introduces me and he goes, hey, I'm going to be done with this in about 10 minutes. Stick around. Let's talk. And literally, that's how he got introduced to me. And when I was with uh, the USHL, I went to USA Hockey. I said, I got an idea. Let's do a a fundraiser in key markets um, about the 1980 Olympic team because the movie surrounds the, you know, the, the shocking loss of the uh, Red Army team to the, the, the U.S. team in 1980. So we wound up doing some things with the 1980 team. So we went, for example, I, I booked the um, uh, theater down in um, uh, Minneapolis. I can't remember the name of it. It was one of their famous theaters. And we had guys like uh, Neil Broughton and Phil Verkota and um, Buxy Erickson and uh, a few other guys up on the stage with Slava. Uh, it, it was absolutely sold out, a huge fundraiser for USA Hockey. So it was an absolute blast. And Gabe, you know, he and I are still in touch, and he actually hired me to work on two additional movies he did, In Search of Greatness, which I believe is still available on um, iTunes and was on Delta Airlines for a number of years. And then um, he actually did the Red Penguins film, which is uh, another incredible movie. So you know, just stayed in touch. But if it wasn't for me showing up with that stinky Yale hat on a Saturday morning in Chicago, I never get in the movie business. So a crazy story. Yeah, that is so cool. Uh, (laughs) All right. One more question. I just can't thank you enough for taking the time. This has been so fun and and, uh, interesting. So you, over the years, you've donated a lot of uh, time over the years, volunteering, helping to grow the game. I mean, it's part of your business too, but there's one that I know is special to your heart. You've been the executive director of the skate program going on 22 years now. Tell us how that all came into being and what's the mission of it? Well, as I had stated before, I'm a huge believer in student athleticism. That goes all the way down to youth hockey. And it just so happens that the skate program was invented at Armstrong, where I was the president of the youth association. And there were some mothers who were getting a little uh, irritated with their kids because all they thought about was hockey, hockey, hockey. And these mothers were the mothers of Jordan Leopold, Pat O'Leary, and there was an O'Reilly. I can't remember the kid's name. This was a long time ago. But lo and behold, I you know went out and called Jordan, who I had known through some other stuff, and introduced myself to you know Pat's mom. And I said, do you guys have any issue with me? taking this to Minnesota hockey and making it a program for Minnesota hockey. And they're like, no. So that was 22 years ago. So at our, at our, our peak, when I was really spending a lot more time on it, you know, we had uh, probably 65 or 70% of the youth associations involved and over 20,000 qualifiers, but it's, it's a program near and dear to my heart. And actually I believe the program had a lot to do with my son um, matriculating to Yale as a student athlete, because his first year peewee, he got an incomplete in, um, or maybe it was squirt, I can't remember. He got an incomplete in gym, of all things. And uh, I said, listen, you don't qualify for skate. And there was a bunch of people saying, well, you're the president of the association. You can get him to qualify. I said, no, no, no. There are no incompletes. And from that point forward, I can guarantee you, Tommy Fallon never got an incomplete from that point forward. So it's all about, you know, understanding what being a student athlete is all about. And I think the program's absolutely super special. And one of the things I may look to do in my early retirement is to, you know, reinvigorate that program and do it on a national basis. But that's something I got on the back burner. 
So what does the SCAPE program, you know, tell us the, the full title yeah, of it, it. It's essentially, it's Skaters Keep Achieving Through Education. SKATE is the acronym. And it basically rewards and recognizes hockey players for performing in the classroom. So if you get a 3.0 or above, you qualify. So what's really cool is I've heard from, you know, different associations all over the state saying they saw significant improvement in in-class performance by hockey players as a result of the program, because as you and I both know, Lance, these kids are competitors and they don't like it when they lose, right? So right. you have kids who are like, yeah, it was a 2.8, but if I just, you know, spend another half hour a night, I can be 3.0 and qualify with my buddies. So I think it's an absolute unbelievable program. And I, you know, credit the, uh, the three mothers at the time. They were trying to get their fine hockey players a little bit more attentive of the books. And as you know, Pat and Jordan went on to start them with the U and won a national championship together in 2001. So happy ending. Great story. Yeah, well, uh, that is, uh, like I said, uh, a lot of the stuff that you've been involved with is kind of behind the scenes and you don't maybe get recognized or it goes unnoticed, but uh, I know that the hockey world uh, is a better place because of the things that you've been a part of. So uh, I can't thank you enough for being here, Bob, and uh, sharing your hockey journey with us. It was an awesome, awesome interview, and uh, thank you, thank you for taking the time. It was my, my true pleasure, my friend, and uh, we'll be in touch, and thanks for having me, pal. Well, episode number eight, the Bob Fallon hockey journey is in the record books. What a bunch of interesting stories, and I love the messaging throughout the whole interview. My biggest takeaway was how important connections with people are, but more importantly, maintaining those connections. It's not always about what you know. Sometimes the tipping point to move you to the next phase has to come down to who you know. I can't thank you enough for stopping by and listening. I hope you enjoyed Mr. Fallon's hockey journey. And if you think there's someone in your circle of family and friends that might enjoy this episode, please share with just one person. It will really help me in growing this hockey community. Again, I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to subscribe. I hope to see you back here soon. And do me a favor, make someone close to you smile today. All the best, my friends.